Thank you for downloading this podcast from Awakening Church. Hallelujah. Everybody doing good? Good, good. Turkey's worn off, right? Yeah, you still have some? We don't, we might have a little bit. We might have a little bit. Hey, I want to talk about one other really, really cool opportunity that we have today. And so if uh, any of my ushers are listening at the end, I'm just going to want one bucket at the back. Okay. Um, We were made aware of a ministry in Peru that's going to be ministering to children, giving them Christmas gifts. And so we want to partner with that. And uh, we've already committed that we're going to do that. But we're going to give you an opportunity. If you want to give, there'll be a bucket at the back there. You can just give to missions. If you make a check, make it to Awakening Church. And um, if you have cash, do that. But but we want to, we want to be able to give and uh, sow into those babies' lives for this holiday season. So um, we're going to give whatever, you know, is given. The church is already going to give some more to add to that. So it's, it's going to be really, really good. All right. Oh, man. So I, I was just thinking today, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting the way that the Lord is is navigating and, and, and doing things in awakening. And, and he is just really, really... Um, just opening some things up to me. And um, how many of you are experiencing that right now? Are you experiencing that the Lord is just kind of wrecking you with some stuff that that you thought you knew or maybe you did know and, uh, um, you know, just making some adjustments? I'm I'm just really sensing that. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. But, um, man, as we were worshiping today, I was just thinking, I am so jealous for just an authentic expression of the presence of God and nothing else. I'm, I'm, I'm jealous for that. And uh, I, I really feel like he is opening our hearts and our minds to that. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm so, so thankful, so grateful. Um, I was talking to Rebecca yesterday. You know, she's, she's my sounding board when I, you know, especially yesterday she left me. And so I had like hours to myself and the Bible. And so I was just sitting at my kitchen table. So she got home and I was like, bah! Uh, but I was, I was saying this, you know, there is an opportunity when new revelation comes that you have this idea that you feel like you should have already been living in it. Have you, have you, have you felt that way? Like I should, man, I should have already been doing that. Anybody? Yeah. A couple of you. All right. The rest of you already got it all figured out. So that's cool. Here. Right. (laughs) There's this, there's, there's this thought of, Man, I, did I miss something? Did I should I have already have been thinking that? Should I have already have known that? And man, I had this thought yesterday that the grace of God. You know, I'm 40 years old, been serving the Lord uh, for real for 30 years, and um, He just put this thought in my heart that as much as I've loved Him for 30 years, and I have. And as much as I have wanted his presence for 30 years, and I have, I'm finding a brand new side of who he is. It's a brand new thing. And, and so I'm not, I'm not taking on condemnation that I should have already been living there, right? I'm not taking on condemnation of things that, that, that I've missed out. It's, man, you're opening up something brand new to me. 
after 30 years, you know, 30 years, sometimes things can become monotonous, right? They can, they, you know, routine and, and all this stuff. But I'm, I'm seeing him in such a new way, and I'm feeling his love in such a new way, and, and it's so amazing. It's so amazing to me. And um, I, I, I'm going to open up. Uh, I just want to read a psalm, and then I'll, I'll jump in. We're, we're going to get right back into what we've been talking about Um and I was contemplating whether or not I was going to do this, but when Terrell started reading Psalm 107, I was just like, oh, my goodness, that's so good. And, and I want to read this Psalm to you, 130. It's real short. Um, Lord, I cry out to you out of the depths of my despair. Hear my voice, O God. Answer this prayer and hear my plea for mercy. Lord, if you measured us and marked us with our sins, who would ever have their prayers answered? How many of you ever approached God that way? Man, I've blown it. You're not going to listen to me, right? This is David. This is a really interesting thought. Lord, if you measured us and marked us with our sins, who would ever have their prayers answered? But your forgiving love is what makes you so wonderful. No wonder you are loved and worshiped. This is why I wait upon you, expecting your breakthrough, for your word brings me hope. I long for you more than any watchman would long for the morning light. I will watch and wait for you, O God, throughout the night. O Israel, keep hoping, keep trusting, keep waiting on the Lord, for he is tenderhearted, kind, and forgiving. He has a thousand ways to set you free. He himself will redeem you. He will ransom you from the cruel slavery of your sins. You know what blows me away about this? This is Old Testament scripture. This is what we were taught about the God who was not so good in the Old Testament, right? But David says, you have a thousand ways to set me free, and you're kind, and you're tenderhearted. He tapped into something because of his life of devotion. It was no other reason than the fact that he stayed on the backside of a desert with a harp, saying, you're my shepherd, I shall not want. Because of that, he was able to look in and see the forgiving power of God. Come on, you got to understand that that's groundbreaking for that time. What Terrell was reading to us earlier, it's groundbreaking for Old Testament Scripture because he didn't have the testimony of Jesus. He didn't have the testimony of the Holy Spirit. He had testimonies and stories of God who brought plagues to his people, who did all of these things. And we've looked at the Old Testament and said, man, how do I justify that God with Jesus? And how do, how do I justify that Old Testament lifestyle with this New Testament covenant of grace? But David... David was already there. Job was already there, right? Job was already there going through hell and high water, and he said, I know that my Redeemer lives. How do you know your Redeemer lives, Job? How do you know that? He's not even come to the earth yet, but he said, I know my Redeemer lives. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I don't even like to call them that. It's Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael because Babylon gave them that other name. But those three... They're standing in the midst of the fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar looks over and he says, man, there's three in there, but are we through three in there, but there's four and one looks like the son of man. How do you know? How do you know unless there were encounters with those people? And, and I love it. You know, I've said this before. I love it that, that if you know him well enough and need him bad enough, he shows up early. Oh, listen, I know, I, I know we're together, and, and we got to be chill, and we can't think about it, but you need, to, you need to think about what I'm saying. If you know him well enough and you need him bad enough, he shows up early, just like he did for those guys. 
And so I'm just coming through all of this, this uh, thought process of, man, I am learning so much about God, and it, I, I love it. It blows my mind. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't make me feel bad. It doesn't make me feel condemned. It makes me want to dive deeper. Do you know what I'm talking about? All right. Y'all can still talk to me. If y'all don't start talking, I'm going to start asking questions. So I'm, y'all thought I was joking about reading the whole Bible, but I'm going to read a lot today. But there's some stuff that I want to show you. I'm going to read a lot, but hopefully we'll go kind of quick. Uh, Romans, Romans 12, I, I cannot get out of Romans. Um, seriously, I can't get out of Romans just with, with this whole idea of justification. And, and um, remember, we're on a journey. We're on a journey. Justification, righteousness, inheritance, dominion. We're going we're to get there eventually. But I can't get out of justification as of yet um, <clears throat> and just our thought process. So uh, Romans chapter 12 just gonna, I'm just going to recap a little bit um, of what we said last week. I've got some really good news out of Romans chapter 8, though, before I give you Romans 12. Romans chapter 8, every righteous requirement of the law was fulfilled through the anointed one, Jesus. Every righteous requirement of the law was fulfilled through the anointed one, Jesus Christ. And guess what? He lives his life through you. And he lives his life through me. Ah, it's good. It's good. In order for us to grasp that, though, we have to have a different thought process. We have to have a different mindset. I am absolutely, I'm after religion. I'm after it. Because I found out that it was deeper in me than I anticipated. That's the part that gets on my nerves. That's the part that gets on my nerves. That religion was a little bit deeper in me than what I thought. Okay, <laughs> I was talking about some times yesterday when I was a youngster <laughs> and uh, just certain things that, that I did out of uh, religion and, uh, you know, when, when other people were out sowing their wild oats, I was setting up meetings to talk to my pastor because I didn't agree with something at, you know, 18 years old. Seriously, y'all think I play it. I'm telling you the honest truth. It's, it's for real. I'm not going to go into that right now, but I did. I did. Okay, Romans chapter 12. So if every righteous requirement can be fulfilled through the anointed one Jesus, I have to understand this is a function of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Everybody understands that's where we've been, right? Talking about the indwelling Holy Spirit who is moving us into a correct understanding of what justification is so that we could actually believe that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You with me? Okay, all right. <clears throat> so we have to have a new line of thought, Romans 12. One and two, beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart, for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Verse two, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. Man, that's good. But... Be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. Be 
inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. So we have to, we have to have a different thought process. And let, let me just say this, that Paul goes on to immediately start addressing pride. He immediately goes on to start addressing pride. I have so wondered why that was such an issue in the church. Why is pride such an issue in the church? It is. There, there's a, a guy, his, his name is Dr. Michael Maiden, pastors an amazing church in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, Church for the Nations, and we had the opportunity to sit under his ministry uh, for about six months uh, back in 2010, nine, 10, uh, 10, 11, sometime back then we were there, and uh, and he wrote a book um, about the seven mountains. So, so you, you know, you've, you've heard us talk about the seven mountains of society, right? Um, arts and entertainment, religion, um, the other five. Um, yeah, <laughs> I can't remember off the top of my head. I've got them. Uh, but you've heard us talk about that. Well, that was something that, that Lance Wallnow, um, who's an amazing guy, Lance Wallnow and Mike Maiden really are the two who, who came up with this idea of affecting the seven mountains. And in, in Dr. Maiden's book, he says this. He says that every mountain has a sin connected to it, and you cannot conquer the sin. I mean, you cannot conquer the mountain if the sin of that mountain is in you. And the religion mountain, the church mountain, it's, it's the church mountain. When I say religion, you understand what I'm saying? I'm not talking about spirit religion. So, so the church mountain, the sin of that mountain is pride. And I often wondered, why? Why is that pride? And I've seen it. I've seen pride run rampant in my life, in, in those who, who have been over me and, and around. I'm like, man, why do we do that? And it, it's beginning to click for me. It's really beginning to click for me. It's not necessarily a pride that says I'm better. It's a pride that says I did this and earned something. That's why in Romans 3, what we've been talking about, Paul asks, do our works bring acceptance? No, of course not. And so he's giving us this whole discourse throughout Paul's writings, trying to let us know that it is not our works, it's not what we do, it, it, it's, it's not our heritage, it's not anything that we are. It is the, the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And so right after this scripture that I just read you in Romans 12, he goes down and he said, listen, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. I'm telling you to bring yourself as a, as a, um, a, a living sacrifice. You all know that that's, that's a scripture that I read that, that many of us have studied over the years. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present yourself as a living sacrifice, right? That's the scripture we just read from a different translation. And, and, and so he says, he says, do all that good stuff, but immediately don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Don't just pat yourself on the back because you're doing it. This is the work of Jesus. Here's what I'm loving reading scripture with, with the context of this idea. As I read Paul's writings, I have to, uh, you, you know, I've taught you this. You have to always remember what you already know, right? And what I know about Paul is that he persecuted the church. What I know about Paul is that he was a Pharisee among Pharisees, studied under Gamaliel. He was the, the top of his class. He was the deal. And Paul, every day, had to get up with the idea that they threw Stephen's coat at his feet. It's my conviction that Paul probably actually murdered Christians himself. And every day he had to get up 
and he had to deal with he, the fact that he did that. But somehow he found grace by Holy Spirit to say, your grace is sufficient for me. <laughs> he, he found the grace to say that when I, when I would to do good, evil is always present with me, but, but your grace is sufficient for me. He had to deal every day with a past that was so much more checkered than any of ours in here today because of what he did, but somehow he tapped in to what God was releasing through him to the Gentiles and to the Jews to let him know that there's a love that is so much deeper than anything you could imagine, and he was even able to pin the words that this will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Can you imagine having Paul's past and having revelation, Charlotte, that says, I could be perfect in his eyes? I can't. I can't. Could you imagine having Paul's past and being able to teach people about justification, which is God's declaration of you as righteous? Come on, I'm telling you, it was a work of the Holy Spirit that so changed his life, that so adjusted his thinking, that caused him to realize, despite what I did, what he did was so much greater. Oh, man, it gets me just, I don't know what it gets me. I ain't got no wall here I can run through. I can't even say it. I'll run straight through this curtain right now. <laughs> The indwelling Holy Spirit releases the power for you to think differently. It makes me smarter. Instead of run through walls, I'm going to run through curtains. <laughs> Listen, he's working. He's working on me. Okay, F Philippians 2.5. You don't have to go there. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So good. Okay, then we get into what we're going to talk about today, which is 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2, and we're going to go into 3. Um, let me see. Is there anything else I want to talk about over here? Okay. Let's, let's, let's move on. So the last time I spoke to you, wasn't last week awesome having Josh with us, Josh Clemens? Wasn't that amazing? And just to hear him talking about what the Lord is doing in him and, and racial reconciliation, I, I absolutely loved it. I really did. The last time I spoke to you, I ended with this question. Do I have more faith in the resurrection of Adam than I do in the resurrection of Jesus? Do I have more faith in the resurrection of my sinful nature than I do the resurrection power of Jesus? Quoting scriptures my whole life that the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead shall quicken your mortal body. Isn't it crazy that you, I've said this before, but you always quote King James. I rarely read King James anymore, but when I go to quote scripture, that's what it is. Because you don't know what you like, you like what you know. So I asked I ask that question, do I have more faith in the resurrection of Adam's nature than I do in the resurrection of Jesus and the power that is in that resurrection? And I hope that you've been dwelling and thinking about that. I'm asking myself, is that the case? <clears throat> Okay, the function of the Holy Spirit is to testify of Jesus. That is to give us a different line of thought from the perspective of Jesus. Okay? The function of the Holy Spirit, are you with me? Is to testify of Jesus. That is to give us a different line of thought from the perspective 
of Jesus. Holy Spirit's favorite message to preach is about Jesus. And so when he comes and gives you a prompt, when he gives you a nudge, when he, when he drops something into your mind and, and your heart to speak, he is giving you the way that Jesus sees it. And, and I've had nudges that I didn't listen to, right? I've had nudges that I didn't follow through. Why? Because I didn't have a correct understanding that he's trying to tell me what Jesus is thinking right now. Because I'm not worthy to really know what Jesus is thinking. I must have made that up. Oh, I've got, I've got a great imagination, so I'm sure I thought of that. What did Paul say? Don't think too highly of yourself. Right? And there are so many things. Do you know? This is the honest truth. Do you know how I judge the word of the Lord right now when I hear it? Would I actually think that? Would I actually think that? That's how I judge it. No. Right? You remember my dear story? It's not coming like you think it is. Three hours later, I'm still looking the same way, <laughs> waiting for it to come like I think it is. Probably could have been out of the woods a lot earlier and been warm and all that good stuff. I got some other stuff that he's talking to me about right now that I'm really trying to, 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 to figure out what, what he's saying and, 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 and what he does. And, and so I, that's how I judge the word of the Lord. Would I actually think that? Is that something that would be in my line of thought? And I'm just thankful for his grace, right? That, that he, instead of saying, no, boy, I guarantee that's not something you would think. He's so gentle. He is so gentle because that's what I would say to me. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Did I read that? I haven't read that, have I? 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I said 12, but can we back up to 10? And if you can't, that's fine. Because it's just all good. I'm really going to start talking about 12, but 10 is good too. So, so 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. And then we're going to go into chapter 3 in just a moment. Okay? But God now unveils these profound realities to us by the Spirit. Yes, he has revealed to us his inmost heart and deepest mysteries through the Holy Spirit who constantly explores all things. I, I love the Bible, seriously. I mean, do, do you hear what he's saying right there? That the Holy Spirit unveils profound realities about who God is, the deepest mysteries, and he constantly explores all things. Now, would I think that? After all, who can really see into a person's heart and know his hidden impulses except for that person's spirit? Little s. So it is with God. His thoughts and secrets are only fully understood by his spirit, the spirit of God. Now listen to this very next verse. For we did not receive the spirit of this world system, but the spirit of God so that we might come to understand and experience all that grace has lavished upon us. Let me just keep reading. And we articulate these realities with the words imparted to us by the Spirit and not with the words taught by human wisdom. We join together Spirit-revealed truths with Spirit-revealed words. Someone living on an entirely human level rejects the revelations of God's Spirit, for they make no sense to him. 
He can't understand the revelations of the Spirit because they are only discovered by the illumination of the Spirit. Those who live in the Spirit are able to carefully evaluate all things, and they are subject to the scrutiny of no one but God. For who has ever intimately known the mind of the Lord Yahweh well enough to become his counselor? Christ has. And we possess Christ's perceptions. I throw this mic all the way through the door. Can, can you hear what that is saying? Who has known the mind of the Lord Yahweh? And he answers it. Christ has. And we have the perceptions of Christ. I woke up today and remembered that they threw Stephen's coat at my feet. Who can know the mind of God? Christ has, and now I have his perception. <laughs> Same guy who wrote that all things become new to them that are in Christ Jesus. Same guy who wrote, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Same guy, why? Because he had tapped into understanding that he had the perceptions of Christ. Now, back to verse 12, look at this. For we did not receive the spirit of the world system, but the spirit of God, so that we might come to understand and experience all that grace has lavished upon us. I wanna challenge that and say, when I experienced the grace of God the first time, I did not do it from the place of the Spirit. I did it from teachers who were talking to me. Maybe you did not, but I did. And he tells me right here, we did not receive the Spirit of the world system, but the Holy Spirit, so that we might understand all that grace has lavished upon us. I want to say this to us very strongly. We cannot rightly comprehend the things of God by our human intellect. To do so is to diminish the reality of the spirit realm. I know it's a strong statement, but I'm telling you, when you try to make sense of what's happening in the spirit realm by your intellect, you are diminishing the reality of that spirit realm. You really are. You cannot, you cannot rightly process the infinite by the means of the finite. Does that make sense? You cannot rightly process the infinite by means of the finite. Listen, you cannot appreciate a well-aged ribeye if all you've ever had is hamburger. Let me just make, you understand that analogy, right? You can't appreciate the marbling. You can't appreciate the way that it was cooked. You can't appreciate the way that they took time to sear it on both sides and get the temperature just right, which is medium rare. Don't you eat your steaks well done, please, in Jesus' name. You cannot appreciate a well-aged ribeye if all you have ever eaten is hamburger. Why? Because you're going to judge that ribeye through the lens of hamburger. You cannot rightly discern the things of God just to try and make it make sense in your mind because it didn't come from earth, it came from heaven. Does that make sense? Verse 13 could literally be translated this way. We explain spiritual realities to spiritual people 
or we interpret spiritual truths by spiritual faculties. When we attempt to rationalize, uh, when we attempt to rationalize the things of the spirit to make sense in our brain, we remove the divine aspect so that we can define it in terms we understand. What happened? How did the Lord come through? Well, he did this, and I think he did it because I did this, and then I saw that, and then I had revelation, and I, come on, right? Well, I think he was leading me this way, and so I just ran as hard as I could down that way, and then, you know, it made more sense to me that way. Matter of fact, it, it, you know, it was common sense. The devil is a liar. There's nothing that's ever come from heaven that's been common. Nothing that has ever come from heaven that's been common. And when you attempt to try to figure out what the Lord is doing and what the Holy Spirit is doing in you based on all that you understand, you have just confined him and limited the power of his infinite power. You've limited that so that you can understand it and make it make sense to you. And leaders did that because they did not go deep enough in real relationship with Holy Spirit to find out what it really meant. I'm just telling you, I've, I, listen, I have been vulnerable and told you guys that when the Lord tells me something, there's so many times that I feel like I have to help him, right? He'll give me a word, and I'm like, oh, that's right, and we'll do this, 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 and this, and I just added everything that I thought I needed to add to it because that makes sense to my finite mind. Are, are y'all getting this? You understand what I'm saying? And so Paul says you cannot have the revelations of the Holy Spirit without the illumination of the Holy Spirit. That's why we have all these crazy doctrines going around. That's why there is such a thing as cessationism. That's why we have that. Because somebody got to there and said, oh, you know what, I don't understand that, so it must not be for us now. That's why for years and years and years, the only gifts we saw working in the church were pastor, evangelist, and teacher. Because we were scared to death of prophets and apostles, and we didn't understand how they worked. And so since we don't know, they must not be relevant to us anymore, and so they died out when the 12 did. Even though there's about 25 to 28 apostles mentioned in the Bible. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? I'm going to trip over this carpet. <laughs> you cannot, you cannot take the revelation of the Holy Spirit without illumination from the Holy Spirit. Why are you saying this, Ryan? Because most of the people who talk to us about the work on the cross said he died on the cross so you could go to heaven. And they stopped there. And while that's an amazing thing and it's a big deal worth me rejoicing and shouting for the rest of my life, his blood accomplished so much more than the fact that I get to go to heaven. Come on, his blood, when it was spilled, caused dead people to get up out of tombs and start walking around Jerusalem again for people to see. There was power that took place at the finished work of the cross that we have limited to the fact that we get to go to heaven. Hmm. So the mindset change is a result of the Holy Spirit illuminating the perceptions of Christ. This is what Paul was talking about. This is the transformation of your thought process. Watch this. This is the transformation of your thought process that should have taken place at repentance. I'm going to mess with y'all today for real. I'm, I'm, I'm going to mess with you in just a moment. 
it should have taken place at repentance. I'm going to get into that in a minute. Let me read 1 Corinthians. Now, let me, let me set this up first, because you can read this, and you can feel real bad about yourself, what I'm getting ready to read. I did at first. I read it, and I was like, oh, dang. Seriously. But I want you to hear these words. There, there's a word that Paul uses, and I'm reading the Passion Translation, but there's a word that he uses three times in this phrase. And, and so he's talking about spiritual immaturity, okay? And, and, and I'm going to give you my thoughts on that in just a moment about me, Okay. But I want you to listen to the word he uses about mindset, okay? That's really where I want to hang my hat in this scripture. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I found it impossible to speak to you as those who are spiritually mature people. Can I just say that every pastor in the world wishes they were bad enough to say that to their people? Seriously, Paul wrote that, and he, I mean, he didn't even care. Brothers and sisters, could you imagine? Could you imagine if I got up here and I said, brothers and sisters, I really wish I could talk to you all, but y'all so immature, I can't even do it. Right? I have better sense than that because the Holy Spirit has illuminated to me what I ought not do. Okay, brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I found it impossible to speak to you as those who were spiritually mature. Watch this, for you are still dominated by the mindset of the flesh. And because you are immature infants in Christ, I had to nurse you and feed you with milk, not with the solid food or more advanced teachings because you weren't ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready to be fed solid food for you are living your lives, here it is again, dominated by the mindset of the flesh. Ask yourselves, is there jealousy among you? Paul, he ain't playing. Do you compare yourselves with others? Do you quarrel like children and end up taking sides? If so, this proves that you are living your lives centered on yourselves, dominated, here we go, by the mindset of the flesh, and behaving like unbelievers. For when you divide yourselves into groups, a Paul group and Apollo's group, you're acting like people without the Spirit's influence. Who is Apollos, really? Or who is Paul? Aren't we both just servants through whom you believed our message? Aren't each of us doing the ministry the Lord has assigned to us? I was the one who planted the church, and Apollos came and cared for it. But it was God who caused it to grow. This means the one who plants is not, any, is not anybody special, nor the one who waters, for God is the one who brings supernatural growth. Okay, so again, he's talking about immaturity, okay? I'll tell you what I think about that in just a moment. But over and over again, he's telling these people, you're dominated by the mindset of the flesh. How many of you, just as I read that, just really be honest. I really want you to be honest. As I read that, when I said dominated by the mindset of the flesh, how many were like, ouch? For real. Yeah. Same. Matter of fact, I texted to Rebecca yesterday. I was like, why does the Holy Spirit rip it to me on the regular? That's how I said it. Okay. Now, I want to show you this parallel. This wrecked me. And, brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I found it impossible to speak to you as those who were spiritually mature people, for you were dominated by the mindset of the flesh. Okay, 
Are, are we up and working? It's not working? Okay. John chapter 16, really fast. Now, this is Jesus talking in John chapter 16. Remember what I just said, what Paul said. I wanted to talk to you as spiritually mature people, but I couldn't because you were dominated by the mindset of the flesh. Look what Jesus says. There is so much more I would like to say to you, but it's more than you can grasp at this moment. But when the truth-giving spirit comes, he will unveil the reality of every truth within you. He won't speak on his own words, but only what he hears from the Father, and he will prophetically he will reveal prophetically to you what is to come. Now, Paul just said, I couldn't speak to you because you were spiritually immature. Jesus is telling the disciples, I can't tell you everything because the Holy Spirit hasn't come. Here's the interesting thought. When Paul's speaking, Pentecost has already happened and the Holy Spirit has come. Pentecost has already happened. The Holy Spirit has come and he is telling these people, you're not accessing the full revelation of the Holy Spirit in your life because if you were, I would be able to talk to you differently than I can. And again, I said, ouch. They were approaching spiritual or kingdom truths from the mindset of the flesh or what made sense in their brains. They were having a church fight. You understand that, right? Well, Apollos is here now, and Paul left us. He planted church, but he left us. And Paul says, who is Apollos, and who is Paul? Neither one of us really matter. You're immature. That's what Paul said. So here, here's what, here, here's Jesus. He's having a conversation, this conversation after Pentecost, which means Holy Spirit was already available for this revelation, but they weren't using him for that. And Paul calls that spiritual immaturity. Here's what I have realized. The reason, the reason that Paul over and over and over again talks about pride is because he understood the immaturity of the church. And they thought they were further along than they were. You, you, you remember Paul? He said, I speak in tongues more than you all. I thought I was further along than I was more than you all. Yeah. I've had so many questions. Listen to me. I've had so many questions over the years about prophetic words that have come to me that I've not seen come to pass. I've had so many, so many dreams and, and visions and, and hopefulness that has not come to pass. And I'm just now, I'm just now realizing that it was the grace of the Lord because I would not have handled it correctly because I had an incorrect mindset. Let's just turn it off and not worry about it anymore, okay? I would not have been able to handle where I wanted him to take me with the old mindset, not really believing in the finished power of the cross. It was his grace, the illumination of the Holy Spirit that gave me revelation of all that grace had lavished on me. And some of that grace was that he kept me from what I was asking for. Now, guys, you're, 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 not, you're, not, you're not looking at somebody who has this crazy drug and alcohol murder testimony. My only drug problem was I was drugged to church the whole time. 
That's the only drug problem I had. I mean, it's all I have known my whole life. I'm talking about six years old, and I would say a bad word, hide behind the coffee table and pray because I was afraid I was going to go to hell for saying a bad word. This is the truth. Tell on myself all the time, I'm sorry I did this. They didn't even ask. Yes, I did this. That's, that's who you're talking to. And I'm realizing, I'm realizing that there were things that I knew, there were things that I understood, but there was so much that I didn't, and I'm not taking it as an insult for Paul to say, hey, there's some immaturity there. Because I can look back over my life and say, man, I'm thankful that you did not put me where I was asking you to put me in that moment because I would have blown it. Does anybody else understand what I'm talking about? I would have blown it. I would have done it. Okay, so I told you I was going to mess with you. I want to talk to you about two tenets of the faith really fast. My goodness. Remember what I said a while ago, that your mindset should have been adjusted at the place of repentance. Who told you what you believe about repentance? Who told you what you believe about repentance and what it means? Here's what I want to say to you today. Repentance is not saying, I'm sorry. I'm going to go even further and say, repentance is not turning and going in the other direction. Like we were taught. Do you know why? It's an Old Testament concept. That's what the Old Testament word for repentance meant, was to turn and go another direction. Because they did not have the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament to adjust their mind. Are you listening to me? Are you here? Repentance literally means to change your mind and to change the way that you think. Who told you what repentance meant? I began to challenge myself when I said, I'm sorry for my sins. Did I really change the way that I thought about it? Or did I think that I had to make a few minor behavioral changes? What did repentance produce in your life? It was not until I was 18 years old that I really knew what repentance was. And I had already been living a Christian life for 10 years at that, at that point. It was not until that point when I really understood what repentance meant. But here's what I'm, what I'm trying to say. Do we have a generation of people who thinks repentance means I'm sorry? Do you know it's a pet peeve of mine for you to say, anybody to say to me, not you, for anybody to come to me and say I'm sorry but still have the same mindset about what they just apologized for? Why? Because if you don't change the way you think, you may say you're sorry, but you're going to turn around and do it again, and I'm going to be mad again. Do you understand what I'm saying? But how many times have we approached that idea with God? Do we really believe that at repentance, I had a mindset change from Holy Spirit, or did I think I just had to make a few minor behavioral adjustments? What we focused on in the old church was behavioral adjustments. I'm telling you I'm going to fall today. I rebuke the devil. Brady says the power of Christ compels you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does that make any sense to anybody? Did you really change your mind or did you think, okay, I've got to be a little better than I was? <laughs> right? Guess what? You weren't any better than you were. You may have tried. 
You may have tried. That, that's, that's why I tell people all the time, repentance, when it says turn and go the other way, you're a bad day from turning around and walking back the same way you came from if you don't change your mind about it. So did Jesus' blood on the cross really finish it and cause you to be the righteousness of God, or did it just cover up your Adam nature until you needed it again? Right? Did it make you feel better about the fact that you're going to need your Adam nature tomorrow at about 1130 when that person gets on your nerves, right, who repented and said, I'm sorry, but did the same thing over and over and over and over again. Am I talking to anybody today? Does this make any sense at all? Do I have a mindset change? That's why we try to make it a point in our house to ask when we do something wrong and we do a lot wrong. We, we try to ask, hey, will you forgive me? And if the person says yes, and they do, then what that teaches us is that, okay, that restores me to the place before I messed up. So you can't judge me by that mess up anymore. I'll forgive, but I'm not going to. Are you? Are you really going to forgive? Or are you going to hold a grudge until it mimics what it looked like before when they did that to you? Or are you going to have a different mindset about it? Do you, you with me? Right? Well, I've just got to protect myself, do you? Or is he your protector? i got to cover myself, do you? Or did his blood cover you? Come on, this is real life stuff, right? Being vulnerable and talking about things. Hey, I'm going to forgive people. You don't know how they hurt me. You're absolutely right. I don't know how they hurt you. But I do know how he can heal you once you are born again. I do know how you cannot live the same way that you lived that life uh, before you were born again. Notice he did not tell Nicodemus, you need to repeat a prayer and ask for forgiveness. He said, you must be born again. I have to go through a rite of rebirthing who I was and removing the old man so that I can move forward into what he has for me. So who told you what you believe about repentance? One more. Can I go a little deeper? Who told you what you believe about baptism? Who told you what you believe about baptism? Let me ask this question. Do you really believe what Romans 6 says about baptism, or do you believe that it was a public confession of your faith? Do you really believe what Romans 6 says about baptism, or was it just a religious routine that you went through to be a public confession of your faith? I told you I was going to mess with you. Listen, I got baptized a lot when I was at youth camp because I got saved every year. <laughs> True story. And I'd feel the emotion of the moment. I'd be like, oh, Dad, I need you to baptize me again in the swimming pool at KYC. Kentucky Youth Camp. Some of y'all don't know nothing about that. Some of you do. Making the trek up there. Because that's what you did, right? You got saved and you got baptized. Do you really believe what the Bible says about baptism? Let me ask, do you know what the Bible says about baptism? Or was it just something that you went through because you're supposed to make a public confession of your faith? Are you with me? If we can believe all of this, I'm going to read some about what baptism is really about, but same thing about communion. 
Do I really believe and do I really understand that I'm partaking of his body and remembering what he did, the new covenant in his blood, his body breaking? Do I really believe that or am I still tied to the idea that this is a religious thing that you do and we make sure that everybody's heart's right so you can take communion? Or do I believe that by, by prophetic symbolism that I really can be healed as I eat the body of Christ? I really can be healed as I drink the body of Christ. Come on, I'm, I'm jealous. Remember how I started this? I'm jealous for an authentic expression of what the Lord wants to do in kingdom. I'm jealous for what he wants to do in family. And I'm going to tell you, I feel like as the body of Christ as, as a whole, we have been underachieving what's available through the blood of Jesus and through a kingdom lifestyle because most of the time it doesn't make sense to us in our brains. But when we judge it by that, we have just diminished the divine aspect of it. Romans 6. Romans 6. So what do we do then? Do we persist in sin so that God's kindness and grace will increase? Who in here has a different trend? Who in here has a, 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 like a New King James Version like with them or NIV or something like that? You got one? Okay. Romans 6. Pull that up. Because I, I want you to hear it in another translation so you know what I'm talking about. So what do we do then? Do we persist in sin so that God's kindness and grace will increase? What a terrible thought. We have died to sin once and for all as a dead man passes away from this life. So now we could, so now, I'm sorry. So how could we live under sin's rule a moment longer? Or, watch this, have you forgotten that all of us who were immersed into union with Jesus. He's talking about baptism. All of us who were immersed into union with Jesus, the anointed one, were immersed into union with his death. What's that say? Which verse? Uh, which verse? Three. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So all of us who were baptized... We made a confession of our faith publicly, right? Or were we baptized into the union of his death on the cross? Do you, do you understand what that means? Can I really, really just... Look, I got balance. What are you talking about? <laughs> Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. How can I do this? I'm just going to talk to Charlotte. Charlotte, did you know that Jesus was born again? <laughs> did you know that Jesus was born again? How was he born again? So he was born of a virgin Mary, and he was the firstborn of many brethren, at death. Death was the firstborn of many brethren. So he was, right, born again. So when I was baptized, I only had faith for that being a confession of my faith until I had clear teaching on this. The first time I was baptized, a couple times, Yeah, that first quarter of my life. 
I only had faith for it being a public confession. I did not have faith for it being a supernatural experience that connected me to the death of Jesus where sin died. How can you say that, Ryan? He never sinned. You're right. But the Bible says that he became sin for me, that he who knew no sin became sin, that I through him might become the righteousness of God. So baptism is not just a public confession of your faith. It's a supernatural act that says, I am now baptized into his death. And if I am baptized into his death, look what Paul says. Sharing in his death by our baptism means that we were co-buried and entombed with him so that when the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead, we were also raised with him. We have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. For since we are permanently grafted into him to experience a death like his, we are permanently grafted into him to experience a resurrection like his and the new life that it imparts. Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Obviously, a dead person is incapable of sinning. And if we were co-crucified with the anointed one, we know that we will also share in the fullness of his life, and we know that since the anointed one has been raised from the dead to die no more, his resurrection life has vanquished death, and its power over him is finished. For by his sacrifice, he died to sin's power once and for all. But he now lives continuously for the Father's pleasure, so let this be the same way with you. Since you are now joined with him, you must continually view yourselves as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily for God's pleasure in union with Jesus, the anointed one. Sin is a dethroned monarch, so you must no longer give it an opportunity to rule in your life, controlling how you live and compelling you to obey its desires and cravings. And I could continue to go on and on and on. That tells me that baptism was way more than just a public confession of my faith. If I have the ability to put faith on the revelation of what baptism really does, that when I go into the water, that Adam's nature dies, the sin nature dies, that monarch of sin is dethroned. And when I come out of the water, I am resurrected with him in new life to no longer give sin any opportunity. Or I can continue to struggle every day and think that my discipline is going to fix it. And think that my right living is good. Hallelujah. So who told you what you believe about baptism? This is why I believe so strongly in the vaccination of Christianity. We have been inoculated with a weaker strain of the real thing to just enough to fight off the real thing. And we like to call it discernment. I'm just testing the spirits. Problem is you're testing spirits, little s. You're not testing spirits, capital S. 
This is why I've spent however many weeks this is now talking about justification. Because one of the greatest issues in the church is identity. One of the greatest reasons that we have identity issues is because we don't believe what the Father says about us. And a lot of us have never submitted ourselves to a spiritual father. So we have no concept of what that could look like. Can I tell you? I'm telling you. We were talking about this the other day. The illumination of the Holy Spirit has, has, has brought me to where I am. But I'm telling you, in conjunction with the illumination of the Holy Spirit, has been a voice of a father giving me identity and giving me permission to say, you know what, that didn't make sense to me. Well, there's a reason it didn't make sense, because it was man-made doctrine, and I took it as the gospel. Guys, I, I'm, I'm telling you, he is blowing my mind. He is blowing my mind with this stuff. The, the voice of condemnation that I have just acted like was a little pet that was going to stay with me for the rest of my life. Seriously. I have to believe what justification really means. I'm going to give you this analogy. I'm, I'm, I'm really just about done. I need to be. I feel like, I feel like I have been riding, driving, not riding, driving, a Mack truck up a hill, like the one to the creek bottom. I feel like I've been driving a Mack truck up the hill in first gear. I want you to listen to me. And my thought to help me go faster was to get out and push. I'm serious. My thought was this thing won't get, make it in first gear. So I've got to get out and push instead of changing gears and hitting the accelerator. And I feel like what the Lord is doing right now is he's saying, listen, don't, don't get out of the truck. Don't get out of the truck. Let's just change the gear and hit that accelerator. And you're going to see that it's easier than you ever could have imagined. Because guess what? I'm telling you that when you really believe that he sees you as righteous, when you really believe that his declaration of you is righteous, there is power in that so that you never have to deal with that sin again that has kept you bound. You never have to deal with those things. It doesn't mean you're not going to be tempted. It doesn't mean that the enemy's still not going to fight you. What it means is you're going to look at it with a completely different lens, and you don't have to go by worrying, am I going to turn that computer on again and watch the wrong thing? Am, am I going to talk to that person again having the wrong feelings in my mind? Am I really going to believe what I believed about these other people and holding grudges? And doing, I'm telling you, you can get to a spot to where he really does see you as righteous and you believe that and it changes the way that you live your life come on guys that that's what this is about this isn't about just getting some new biblical truth or some kind of new revelation it's the fact that I through him might be the righteousness of God that he declares me as righteous me he declares me he declared Paul as righteous, the one who persecuted the church and murdered Christians. Ryan, the one who sinned over and over and over again, who had too much pride, who, who, had, who had too many issues going on in his life and should have been put on the cross himself. No, he looks at me not through Adam's nature, but through the blood of Jesus and calls me righteous. Ah, I'm not going to get out of the truck and push. I like what Paul says in Passion Translation. Do we continue to sin? What a terrible thought. Do I get out of the truck and push? What a terrible thought. Shift gears in that thing and let's go. 
Come on, I want to give you permission today to shift gears. I want to give you permission to get out from under the guilt of underachieving because some of us have been. But I want to give you permission to get out from under the guilt. Why? Because you've been underachieving because you thought it was your responsibility to get it all done. But you can't do it without the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Right? Ryan, why do you always tell us to pray in the Holy Ghost and ask for strategy? Why do you do that? Because Jude 20 says that I build up my most holy faith always praying in the Spirit. So I build up my faith when I set this. Do you understand what I'm saying? Or you can continue to try to do it in your own power. I'm not going to help you push that truck up the hill. I'm going to jump in that driver's seat. I'm going to shift gears, and you're going to get mud all over your face. (laughs) I'm joking. I'll wait for you. Come on, do you understand what I'm saying? Don't don't hear one one iota. That's what I was going to say, babe. Can anybody spell iota? I know some of y'all can spell iota. You've won Scrabble games spelling iota probably. I don't even know what I was saying about an iota now. <laughs> On them. Guys, I'm at the place at 40 years old leading a ministry that I'm tired of underachieving. Are you okay with me saying that? Can you handle that, me being vulnerable? Can you say the same thing, that you're tired of underachieving? I'm tired of approaching every life decision with my intellect and what I think should happen and the way that I figured it out and how I have laid out everything. This is every possible scenario that could have happened or will happen unless Holy Ghost gets involved. Right? So we've been given the perceptions of Christ. Y'all ready for me to be done? What is the perception of Christ? What is the perception of Christ? Well, one of them was this. He thought it not robbery to be compared equal to God. What? As a man. Oh, no, 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 I understand because he was God and he was man. Yeah, but every miracle he did on earth, he did as man. He did not do it as God. So his perception was that he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Why? Because he was convinced about what God said about him and what God said to him. He was convinced about it. So we come full circle. My understanding of justification is really my understanding of who I really am and who he really says that I am. And do I believe that? Or do I, am I still living the reality that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's how I live my life. You understand there's two ways to, to look at that. You can either live your life based on Romans 3.22 and 24, or you can live your life based on Romans 3.23, which is really an excuse to keep doing the same junk that you've done your whole life. The power of justification is God's declaration that I am righteous. My new mind is dominated by the Holy Spirit, not the flesh. That's what Paul told the Corinthian church. He said, I can't give this all to you because you're dominated by the mindset of the flesh. That's how legalism happened. You understand that, right? Somebody looked at, somebody looked at this, and they realized, and that's really tough, so I'm going to come up with a set of rules and regulations to have people live by 
And if they'll do that, then we're, we're never going, we're never going to get this standard. We're never really going to be righteous. So let's just get close. Yeah. My new mind is dominated by the Holy Spirit, not the flesh. Okay. Okay. So what are the perceptions of Christ? Remember, he wanted to reveal his glory, which is his view, his perspective. What is his view? What is his perspective? The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of his perspective, right? What's his perspective? He does not look at you and see you broken. He only sees dominion. He does not look at you and see you frail. He only sees you through the power of his Holy Spirit. Why? Because he formed you and gave you a hope and a purpose to prosper you, right? So why would he then turn from his hope and his view of the way he made you to see you in fallen humanity? Was fallen humanity the original intent? It was not. Original intent was him walking in the cool of the day with Adam and Adam not being dead because of sin. That was original intent. So he only sees dominion. He only sees you whole. He only sees you healed. He only sees you living through the purpose that he has for you. Now, you may not be living that way. You may not be there yet. I may not be there yet, but that's how he sees you. Listen, if you could grasp that, you would understand that he never looks at you through disappointment. He never, ever looks at you through disappointment. He never looks at me through disappointment, even when I have underachieved. Why? Because my ability to fail is not as strong as the blood of Jesus' ability to set me free. It's more than minor behavioral concepts. These thought processes have caused us to miss the banqueting nature of God. Remember we talked about that last year, the banqueting king? how he liked to have banquets and celebrate. I want you to go read Luke 15. And I want you to, to, to look at these stories that are familiar. The lost sheep, the lost lamb, and the lost son, okay? As I read through that this week, I noticed some, and, and, I, and I'm going to quote this, and, and, and you're going to get it right, that um, every time a sinner comes to God, heaven rejoices, right? There's a celebration, right? Did you know that I, I just didn't even catch this, Charlotte, that every single story in Luke 15 ended with a celebration. When the lost sheep came home, he threw a party. When she found the lost coin, he threw a party. She threw a party. When the lost son came home, she threw a party. Why is that significant? Because we do not have a perception that God wants to celebrate over us. We have a perception that he's a God that wants to celebrate, but we don't believe it's over us. I want to set you free today and tell you that you can't work hard enough and you can't run far enough away from him. He wants to celebrate over you. He wants to celebrate over you. Why? Because when he looks at you, he sees the finished work of his son, Jesus, and he realizes that what he endured for 33 and a half years and what he endured on the cross was not in in it, it it wasn't for nothing he did it so that we could be set free and he wants to celebrate over you i want you to hear me today he wants to celebrate over you he wants to celebrate over you how can you say that ryan because he rejoices over you with dancing and singing 
<laughs> and he quiets you with his love. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how bad it's been. It doesn't matter how bad it was last night. There's grace that has been lavished on us. This is, do we keep sinning? What a terrible thought, right? But it's this new revelation of what real wholeness and holiness is that is not driving me to go out and see how far I can go. It's driving me deeper into the love of the Father who's been there the whole time waiting for me to realize that he wants to celebrate over me. He wants to celebrate over you. He wants to have a party over you, and he doesn't care what the past looks like. He doesn't care what yesterday looks like this last week. He wants to throw a party over Ryan Lawson. He wants to rejoice over you with singing and dancing. He wants to throw a party over you, Sherry. He wants to celebrate over you. He wants to look at the broken pieces of your life. He wants to look at the broken pieces of my life and say, man, I can't even see that because of the blood of Jesus. It's filled every single crack. It's filled every single place where there could have been something wrong. I can't see it. I just see the blood of my son. He wants to celebrate. He wants to declare us as righteous. He wants to declare us as righteous. Ah. So I have a responsibility, right? To step out of immaturity. What's immaturity? Immaturity is that I've not I've not read my Bible enough. Nope. Immaturity is that I didn't pray enough this week. Nope. Immaturity is that I'm still dominated by the mindset of the flesh. That's it. I don't hear condemnation there. I hear the opportunity and invitation to think differently because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's what he does for us. Causes us to think differently. I'm done. Do we have any soft music we can put on? We'll just pray a little bit, and then we'll be out of here. Just real soft. Just bow your heads. Why don't you just tell him how thankful you are why don't you just tell him how thankful you are that he has declared you as righteous? Come on, open your mouth. Open your mouth and just tell him how thankful you are that he's declared you as righteous. Thank you, God, that in all of my mess-ups, you don't look at me that way. Thank you that in all of my brokenness, you don't see me through Adam's nature. Thank you, God, that through everything that I've been through, you don't see me. Come on, I want to talk to somebody today who felt like that their time was over. I want to talk to somebody who felt like that they were, maybe you were washed up and you, you had done too much and you were just going to coast for the rest of your life. Come on, I'm telling you today, he wants to throw a party over you. He wants to throw a party over you. I want to tell you that you can't run far enough from him. You cannot run far enough from him and you can't work hard enough for him to accept you anymore. It's just him. It's just him. It's just the finished work of Jesus celebrating who you are, celebrating the blood of Jesus over you. Come on. Come on. I want to tell you that you are not washed up. I want to tell you that you are not broken. You are not what the enemy has said, what culture has declared over you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Can you believe that? Can you believe that you are who he says you are? <laughs> Ah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can you believe that today? Can you believe that you don't have to live life dominated by messed up decisions that you made? 
Come on, can, can, can you get out of this mindset that, well, it's my fault that I'm here anyway? Can you get out of that today and understand that his blood is greater than your decisions? Come on, can you begin to see your family members as the righteousness of God? <laughs> Come on, it's changing the way that I parent. It's changing the way that I view my children. Because I know that I don't have to save them. He already has. It's changing. It's changing the way I view future generations. They're not going to live under the legalism of impossible standards and rules. But they're going to live in a fiery, burning passion after Jesus. Come on, can you see it today? Can you see it? Can you tap into Holy Spirit and let him reveal truth? Can you tap into Holy Spirit and let him guide your words? Come on, how much better would your marriage be if you just let Holy Spirit guide your words to your spouse? Come on, those who are the most comfortable with you, where you can let your hair down. Come on, what, what, what if you didn't have to put on Holy Spirit and take him off? In relationships, or you have to put him on when you go to work. What if you didn't have to take him off when you go to work? What if he was just there with you the whole time? What if you lived your life with the dove in mind? Yeah, 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 yeah. What if you spoke to your children with the dove in mind? Come on. Come on, he wants to celebrate over you the indwelling Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, the divine encourager, the paraclete, the helper, the one who comes along beside to testify of Jesus, to testify of the finished work. Listen, he's never going to testify of what you did. <laughs> he's always going to testify of what Jesus did. He's always going to testify of the blood of Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, we love you today. We love you today. We love you today. Thank you for the celebration of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the celebration of the Holy Spirit. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, we accept who you, come on, just repeat after me. I accept who you say I am. I will live from the reality of who you say I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just ask that you would silence every voice that is in opposition to who you say I am. Yeah, that you would silence every voice that's in opposition to who you say that I am and that I would not be dominated by the mindset of the flesh. God, I tear down the idol of flesh in my life. I tear down the idol of flesh in my life and that mindset that has dominated me. It has absolutely dominated me. Making decisions based on whether or not I felt safe from a human perspective. 
Come on, it's you, Jesus. It's you, Holy Spirit, that give us revealed truth. It's you. It's you. We thank you for that today. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast from Awakening Church. You can find us online at awakeningky.com.